On the last full day of the Obama administration, I was sitting on your couch in the Longworth House office building, and I said, now, your team has the ball, and if you're not scoring touchdowns for your constituents, how long until they come with the pitchforks? <laughs> you told me two years. Do you think you and your colleagues in the House have been scoring touchdowns in the last two years? Well, we've, we've been scoring touchdowns. I don't know that we've scored enough touchdowns uh, to, uh, to win the game. Obviously, we're in the, the red zone right now, to put it in that same vernacular. And I think a lot of people are trying to look up the scoreboard and say, are they, uh, you know, did they put enough points on the board? Uh, for most people, they feel like that they're better off today than they were, you know, two or four years ago. Uh, they're, you know, more confident in their jobs and, and the economy. And you can see that in some of the, the consumer sentiment. But I think, you know, uh, you know, some of the penalty flags that were maybe left on the field is, uh, still trying to get uh, health care costs down uh, because uh, that's been uh, one that has eluded us and uh, in addressing some of the issues on uh, immigration has also been uh, been difficult. Uh, and so, uh, you know, obviously, if it were a slam dunk and it was, uh, you know, we had run away with on the scoreboard, uh, the midterm elections wouldn't be so close. And uh, and so. The, the question really has to be for each individual person. Are they better off today than they were two or four years ago? Um, and and who do they trust to, you know, hopefully finish up with some of the uh, things that are left undone? I think one of those is uh, term limits, which we also talked about that day. Where is that going as you enter your fourth term, presumably? Well, I'm uh, I'm uh, one that has changed uh, dramatically on term limits. I've, I've gone to not running on term limits to being a strong advocate for term limits. I think that uh, four terms is uh, really for a House member should be about right. That's eight years, two terms for senators. It's something that not only I've co-signed legislation, but I've met with the president. I've encouraged uh, some of my colleagues to do the same and uh, actually have worked with a group of freshman members of both Democrats and Republicans uh, on this issue. And so uh, if there's anything that being in Washington, D.C. will will make a believer out of a member of Congress is is the need for term limits. I think our founding fathers had it right. You need to come here and uh, and then go back and do something something else. And so uh, I've tried to use some of the leverage to get a vote on it. Uh, you know, the only place that term limits are not popular is in Washington D.C. and uh, and and yet I think there's a growing consensus that I've been. Uh, uh, a part of that would say that it is time that we actually address that and at least have a vote on it and let everybody know where they stand. You've now served three terms, and in that time you've seen your party gain unified control of the House, the Senate, the presidency. You've also seen the appointments of two justices that have put the Supreme Court on really solid conservative footing uh, for the foreseeable future. How great of a time is it to be a Republican in Washington right now? You know, I, I think uh, it's it's a, a work in progress. I mean, obviously, we've had significant significant accomplishments, and we can uh, you know be happy about that. 
uh, conservative as a conservative, having conservative Supreme Court justices is uh, something that will will outlive uh, you know this particular administration you know, for many years to come. Uh, you know, having uh, been able to play a part in in some of the the issues like the tax cuts and uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem uh, and getting a front row seat has been really exciting. At the same time, you can't travel across Western North Carolina without seeing that there's still a whole lot of work to be done. You know, our our, our farmers and growers uh, need need some support. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a farm bill here in in the the coming weeks. But they need some real support. Our dairy farmers are really at a point of going out of business, and and that's uh, that's difficult. So that makes me form different alliances. I've actually been working with Senator Grassley out of Iowa, you know, so two different different areas and trying to, to work through that. Um, but but certainly anytime you make progress and, and you look at, at cutting regulations and allowing uh, the economy to roar and creating jobs, you know, when I first came in, uh, you know, we had double-digit unemployment in a, a number of my counties. And uh, and now we're faced with almost full employment in a number of those those counties, you know, with unemployment rates, you know, at 4% or, or lower. And... Uh, and with jobs that I could fill today, and so you can you can take great gratification there, but uh, you're only as good as your last accomplishment. So for me, it's it's all looking at uh, if I have the privilege to continue to serve. You know, how do we advance it and continue to uh, uh, as we started this out, put points on the scoreboard. You and the president have had some disagreements, but you've also worked together on a lot of these important issues you spoke of earlier. What's your relationship like with him right now? Well, I've got a very good relationship with the president right now. Uh, it, it's it been uh, really one that, as you mentioned, has been both difficult at times and, and good at times. And, and I think what he has come to understand is, is that uh, – my first priority are the people that I represent in Western North Carolina, and as long as it aligns with them, uh, then then I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be all in, and uh, and that's that's difficult when you have a, a president of your own party. If you know if you're at odds with uh, you know the the president on a particular piece of policy because of what it's going to do for the people that you represent back home. And, and yet uh, we continue to have regular conversations and, and uh, the president and I enjoy a very good relationship of which I would actually call him a friend. Uh, and, and most of my disagreements now are uh, in private, if we're going to have those and, and uh, you know, my attitude has always been is to try to do things a little bit more uh, with a little bit more civility and trying to trying to work with some of my Democrat colleagues and and yet being a chairman of a conservative caucus it doesn't always make headlines that way uh, but it it's really about making your first priority the people that you represent now how do you think your relationship with President Trump is going to translate at the polls this year you know, I don't really know, Corey. Uh, for me, I am who I am, and I've I learned a long time ago. And, and this is not uh, your first rodeo, nor mine. 
Uh, I I don't focus on the politics of of things. Uh, just to be candid, uh, I think if you do the right thing uh, for the right reason, uh, hopefully the results take care of themselves in in elections. And if they don't, I serve at the pleasure of the people of Western North Carolina. Uh, and and if they feel like I'm not representing their values uh, well. Uh, then, then I would in, uh, encourage them to to make a change there, and 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 would not hold it against them. I, I can tell you this: that if you start worrying about relationships and politics, and forget your first priority, which is the which are the people that voted for you in the first place, um, it uh, it will not serve you well in the long term. So I typically don't spend as much time campaigning and hopefully doing a lot more on the policy end of things and trying to to address that. Talking about possibilities of change this election cycle, it wouldn't take much to see Republicans lose control of the House. How would that change what you're trying to do in Washington? You know, I don't know that it it, it, change, it obviously changes the dynamics between uh, a Republican House and a Republican president. Uh, and so uh, some of the things that the president has been advocating for and, and with uh, become much more challenging when you have uh, uh, the opposite party in, in, uh, in the House. Uh, it will change... Uh, tactics more than really what I stand for. I mean, when, when you have the majority and you can, you can play, uh, a little bit more hardball with, with trying to get your way, uh, it's maybe a little bit less of finesse. And then when, if you're at the majority and really I, the way I see it, it, it's whether it's a Republican majority or a Democrat majority in a, in a, a week or two, um, it's it's going to change the tactics anyway, because it'll be such a thin majority that whether the Republicans or the Democrats are in charge, it's going to require a whole lot more uh, working, uh, perhaps on the nuances of of policy more so than anything else. And it, that's something that I've I've been doing for the last two years. It doesn't get a whole lot of uh, headlines, uh, but it. It's already something that I've been trying to work on for the last six months or so in anticipation that, you know, that there may be a, a change coming in Washington, D.C. Whether or not that change comes, the Affordable Care Act has been more or less neutered. Um, what's your agenda for the remnants of Obamacare? You know, uh, I've, I've, you know, to pick up on a, a term when the Obamacare uh, or the Affordable Care Act, as it was officially known, was passed, you know, they said, well, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your health care plan, you can keep it. One of the things that I've been looking at and working with some of my colleagues on is if you like your Obamacare plan, you can keep it and just give uh, consumers more options. Uh, and and so in doing that, if they like their Obamacare and the way that it's performing for them, and there are some, obviously, that, that do. In fact, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a divided, you know, 50-50. You know, depends on which group you poll and, and their opinion of that. But we have to do two things. And, and, and for me, uh, it's all about making sure that we perform on these two issues. One is... We have to lower premiums. We have to, you know, right now, the premiums have gotten so high. The out-of-pocket expenses uh, for my entire district 
is uh, really one of the major challenges that I hear is, is how do you afford your insurance? And then when you use it, do you really get to use it or are your deductibles and your copay so high? So we've got to address that. And then the second part of that is that we have to make sure that pre-existing conditions are, are covered. It was uh, those two uh, pillars was when we were starting the, the negotiations, I said it came down real simple handle pre-existing conditions and lower premiums. And how you go about doing that is, is the key. So I think what you may see is, uh, uh, you know, still government uh, uh, subsidies for Obamacare plans and then a number of other plans that will come up that will allow for others to uh, perhaps uh, find plans that are uh, more affordable but also more directed in terms of their health care needs. The older I get, um, you know, the less I need of some benefits and the more I need of others. And so having something tailored that way. But I think once, once you've got uh, a plan, taking that away becomes very, very difficult to do. Going back to another legacy of the Obama administration, near the end there, or I'm sorry, near the beginning, he left a legacy of some pretty massive budget deficits. Uh, I believe it was $1.4 trillion in 2010. It then shrank to less than half of that, but since 2015, it's done really nothing but climb. It was uh, almost $800 billion last year. It's projected to be a trillion this year. How does that set with you? Well, it doesn't set well. I mean, listen, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, uh, you know, Deficits and continuing deficits are not something that's sustainable. And uh, you know, and and for what was criticized uh, under the previous administration needs to be criticized under this administration. Uh, interestingly enough, um, the deficit will, originally this year we were looking at one trillion, and uh, and because of the economy and 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 this doing well, it actually put off that $1 trillion mark a little bit, but it, it's not sustainable. And, and so we've, we've got to address that. There's one thing that will address it. You know, some say, well, you, know, you, you had the tax cuts and that made it worse. Actually, the tax cuts right now uh, are, are really uh, this year are, are actually paying for themselves, which I never thought that they would do. Uh, but the problem was, is that we, continued to spend money at the federal level. And, uh, and so even under a Republican administration, they've done that. Uh, and, and so the, my proposal would be this is let's grow the size of Let's assume that government services right now are, are providing adequate services. And we may have to realign some of it to make sure that this area is provided for. And that one is, is properly adjusted. Uh, but let's assume that you know there's enough money there today to provide for the the essential benefits and the safety nets and and the size of government. Well, let's grow the size of government only at the inflation rate. You know the problem we've had is is that the the inflation rate has been about two percent. We've grown the size of government six percent, and uh, and so I would be in favor of saying, all right, we're going to grow the size of government. Uh, along with the inflation rate, and so we'll keep, continue to bump that up. And then over time, because of the economy uh, doing well, uh, it would balance out. Now, it may take a long time to balance out. Uh, you know, current projections would put it at 18 to 22 years, but at least we would be on a path to fiscal solvency instead of a path to, 
fiscal bankruptcy. You talked briefly about the tax cut maybe factoring into the budget deficit, but something else that's kind of started to uh, float itself are cuts to Social Security have been mentioned, and I haven't really heard that seriously considered since Al Gore's lockbox comments back in 2000. Do you see that discussion going anywhere? You know, uh, the, the Social Security cuts that you know, they're talking about are really, uh, you know, uh, cuts to projected growth in the, in the outlying years. Uh, and so in terms of any benefits to individuals, uh, seniors uh, today or tomorrow or even next year or the following year, uh, that's just not based on reality. Uh, I, I can tell you this is one of the areas where the, the president has been unbelievably firm. Uh, it's, uh, and, and that is, is making sure that we save Social Security and, and Medicare, but that we don't cut it. And, uh, and I know that, you know, a lot of times they say, well, the tax cuts were paid for by Social Security. Actually, you know, it may have been a, an outlying year, but taking from the trust fund is, is not something that I'm in favor of. Uh, and, and honestly, something that we have to shore up. But, you know, the the interesting thing is is that um, on Social Security, I've actually been working with uh, a Democrat, John Larson, on this particular issue because uh, it, it is a bipartisan issue. You know, my mom has told me a number of times Social Security and Medicare uh, are the two areas that make the biggest difference in her budget. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's not just from my mom's standpoint, but from, uh, all the, the people that I have the privilege of serving, we've got to get it right. And so John Larson and I, two very different, a guy from North Carolina conservative district and a guy from a liberal Connecticut district working together to try to come up with that. And, uh, we've sent some proposals to the administration, but in the, in the future of social security, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now that. You know, I'm I'm right on the doorstep. I can remember when I was a kid, they said, well, it won't be there when you get there. Well, now that, you know, it's part of my financial plan for, for retirement, you know, we've got to make sure that it's not only good for, for me and those that are of my age, but for the generations to come. And so there's real work to be done. I think we can do it easier on Social Security than we can on Medicare. Um but we've, we've got to figure a way to, to solve it. And then the president is all in on that particular issue. Our country is probably more politically divided now than at any time since the Civil War. Uh, how does a guy like you go to Washington and help us overcome that? Yeah, I think it's, it's showing respect to anybody, whether they're Republican, Democrat, or unaffiliated. You can have your own personal uh, views, and yet you can, you can respond uh, in in a civil manner. And I probably have, you know, 30, 30 Democrat colleagues that I could call on today that if I was in a real uh, pinch that they would be more than happy to, to help me. And part of that's because we represent very different districts, but we treat each other with respect. And I think we, we've got to get back to that. And, and some of what happens is, is uh, with social media and everything else, people put things, uh, you know, on the Internet that they would never say in, in, in private. And, uh, and, and it becomes, uh, you know, a, a real uh, rock'em sock'em kind of uh, environment and and hopefully uh, we can dial that back. Uh, I think the best thing is is 
uh, you know, to, to show civility in our debate. It doesn't mean you compromise your principles. It doesn't mean that you are, are any less uh, uh, passionate about your, your position, but you do so in a, in a manner that's respectful. So hopefully we can, we can see that. And on that same note, then, tell me something nice about your Democratic opponent, Philip Price. Uh, I normally don't talk about our any opponent. I, I haven't done so since I started. Uh, and and I don't know that I've ever said a negative. In fact, I haven't said a negative word. I haven't said anything about my opponent. But I can, I can say this. Uh, uh, anybody who's willing to put their name on the ballot and run uh, and put themselves out there, the boat, not just them, but their family, is to be applauded. And uh, one thing you won't find from me is is uh, uh, I, I just refuse to say anything negative. If I've got to throw mud to get elected, I'm going to go home. And, uh, and that's why if I keep it focused on the policy, uh, I don't have to worry about the personalities.